0: to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory, and with us uh, today are guests uh, Jake Hill and Elias Rossner back for uh, round two together, Uh, but they've both been on uh, separate episodes uh, with me, which you can find in your podcast feed, one from the end of December and one from just last week when Jake and I broke down the uh, incoming one shot that Marvel put out at the end of December. Uh, How are y'all doing tonight or today? or
1: uh doing great Thanks for the afternoon uh thanks for having us back yeah thanks yeah. for having us back
0: um, we're surviving surviving trying to trying to survive i'm a survivor oh. i will survive you.
1: oh i'm thriving I'm, I'm doing great
0: oh wow okay well jake's doing better than i am no, <laughs> Uh, brief, brief plug before we uh, get going, uh, if you're coming to us from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. Please take a moment to uh, rate, subscribe, let us know what you think about the show at the end, and we'd love to, to interact with you uh, online afterwards. Uh, if this is your first time and you're coming to us and you found us in the ethereal interwebs, uh, make sure to uh, check out the website that we're hosted from, to, uh, multiversitycomics.com, which is your home for all things uh, comics, news, reviews, other podcasts, other think pieces, uh, tons, tons of comic and pop culture content. Uh, head on over to multiversitycomics.com. It's a great website. Great. It's place a great website. Can. Do it. Do it, just, just, do, it. Uh, just, yes.
1: do it. Yes. Where is Shia LaBeouf right now? I wonder. Things he could be I anywhere. Wonder. He's probably behind one of us or the listener. Oh,
0: that's true. I had a moment. Uh, this is this is a side. Note. I was I was with my with my family with my sister. We were listening to the radio, and like uh, an Alan Jackson song came on. So like I'm from Texas. I used to listen to country music. I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, <laughs> no. And He's like hasn't put out things in a while, and I turned to my sister and I was like, I wonder where Alan where Alan Jackson is right now. And like straight faced, without even quitting, like without even like breaking a moment or anything, she was just like, he's probably at home, and that's it.
1: <laughs> that story. Anyway, I think that's what they call a shaggy dog story.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Not really a good ending. Um, so anyway, um, we'll we'll get right right into it here. Um, so. Uh, if you've listened to the last couple episodes, uh, Elias and I broke down um, some news a couple weeks ago that, that Marvel put out uh, towards the end of the year. And usually, normally, uh, we break down news in the uh, first episode of every month. And so when we come back in February, you can check out some other news things from us. Then. But to, uh, to cover a couple of, of big pieces of news that Marvel has put out uh, this week, specifically because they feel very important, uh, we're going to do that. Right now, so first and foremost, uh, we received the announcement this week of one of the Dawn of X titles that we've been waiting for in Wave Two, and that is the Leia Williams written uh, title that was yes. teased back at the beginning of all of the Dawn of X announcements. It was revealed that Leia Williams and artist David Baldion, who worked with her on the Gwenpool Strikes Back miniseries, will be collaborating on an X Factor book that comes out in April. Uh, the team in the X Factor book will consist of Northstar as the leader polaris IBoy, boy rachel gray prodigy and dakin as they sort of run detective missions for the five uh the five are the five mutants now tasked on krakoa with the like resurrection protocol or resurrection sort of um uh, plot or thing or how every mutant comes back to life the it five are, sense, are promise yes yes if you're reading the books y- you know it's comic whatever Uh, (laughs) our tempest proteus uh hope summers elixir and the mutant formerly known as gold balls now going by egg um and the five will be featured prominently in this x-factor book uh so jake we'll start with you as our resident x-men expert um thoughts on this book thoughts on this announcement um have you read other books titled x-factor before does this seem like fun in line with that or cool or whatever we'll start there and then
1: we'll go to Elias. Um, I think, unless I'm mistaken, I have read every issue of any titled titled X Factor from Marvel. Um, I okay, actually, great. so you are the expert. An X Factor, absolutely. X Factor was like uh, the I was um, the second run of the Peter David X Factor, which ran in the early 2000s into the early 2010s. That was like my favorite book while I was coming out. I did not miss an issue of that. Mm. And I actually – if you go to the great website, MultiversityComics.com, I recapped it uh, last summer. So if you go to um, X-Factor Summer Comics Binge Read, you can um, get my issue-by-issue updated feelings on the book, which uh, was really a great read still, Um, really complicated. But this new X-Factor book is way different than anything that's come before it. I mean, I guess it's too early to say because the original X Factor, which was also written by Peter David, I feel like was defined by having like a real sitcom feel while all the other books Mm. were going for this like aggro X-Force cable pouches kind of thing. X Factor was the book where like, um, I don't know, uh, there was a whole issue where like multiple men couldn't open a jar of pickles and he's like running around and all the X Factor members can't help him for various reasons. (laughs) What? Okay. Yeah, okay. X-Factor is like, was like the silly book in the 90s. Um, so and, all the other
0: books were like hyper-masculine and X-Factor was just
1: like kind of masculine is what you're saying. Yeah, that was the very wide range you got in the <laughs> 90s. Okay, all right. Um, and um, – and then in the second run of X-Factor, it's still pretty funny. Uh, it's still it's also kind of dark. It started in, I think, around 2006. And that's the one also written by Peter David where X-Factor becomes a detective agency. And every arc is like a noir detective uh, private eye kind of thing, but with mutant powers and craziness. Uh, and, okay. and, and that's the one I recommend is the second 2006 to 2014, I think, Peter David X-Factor run. Um it's a wild ride, and um, the the middle part is uh, one of my favorite parts of all of X-Men.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh,
1: around, I think, issue 50 of that run is where it really starts cooking. Um, and then Peter David did a third run of X-Factor, where uh, they're a corporation now, and they, uh, they're they like a multinational, and they do work in uh, all sorts of com- uh, countries. And that run was interesting, but not my favorite. But so X Factor has been a lot of different things, but one through line is it's always kind of funny, and the other through line is it's always been written by Peter David, and this is the first time it's not. So. Oh wow! Okay. That's a that's like a big difference. Yeah, I can't think of any X Factor run. Uh, other writers have come in for fill ins or for uh, arcs, but Peter David's uh, been the primary writer on every run.
2: Okay.
0: Wow. Wow. So so that. That second, that second phase, then, like the you said, it was like the detective kind of with mutant powers thing. Though that seems to be from what we know about this book, kind of what's it? What like this book is kind of drawn on? It seems like that's what the announcement seemed like. Is that a fair comparison? Then
1: I sure hope so. Um, That's the most famous and I think uh, acclaimed run. So that's the that makes sense that they would draw upon it. But I'll tell you, I'm. The thing that has me most excited is that creative team. Like, uh, Elias, how much did you love Gwenpool
2: Strikes Back? I very much loved it. Uh, that was actually what we kind of discussed on the, the last episode that I was on was the finale of that in the whole series, uh, or I guess the whole miniseries. Um, and I guess that was one of those books where originally I was like, oh, I guess this was the uh, X-Men book that Leigh was talking about, though I hope it's not. The only one.
1: Uh, spoilers. Uh, right. Well, we yes. want her. We want her to write uh, that Emma Frost book that she one day oh, will write. Yes, she has been yeah. dying to write that. I'm dying to read it. Um, but I, so what I'm curious about uh, from you guys um, regarding the creative team is, um, I think Leah Williams at this point, um, she was our number one pick for uh, breakout writer of 2019. So mm-hmm. I think it's clear that uh, contributors to multiversity comics really like Leah Williams. Um, but what do we think about her as a collaborator with Baldeon with, with the artist?
2: I think those two are a dream team. Yeah, I really do. Um, they, they work so well together on Gwenpool and Baldeon captured, I don't know, he really captured something that was in between the Guru Hero style of, uh, art that that kind of characterized the early run of Gwen, uh, and kind of the more not serious, but like more more uh, anatomically realistic. I hate that term. I hate it so much. Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. the most how about, realistic um, style. How about that, like, representational. Kind of, yeah, the represent uh, that that X Men and a lot of the superhero comics tend to stick with. Um, and it's like, it's this nice middle ground that capture that has the cartoony bounciness um, that allows you to just do so much and so much with comedy. And I think if what you're saying, cause I know, N- nothing about X factor. I knew nothing. I thought it was going to be another one of those reality show type things like ecstatics or <laughs> um, new, new warriors before they
1: all got blowed up in Scranton.
2: <laughs> all right. It, Scranton?
1: Pete. Um, it was a town in Connecticut. So, no, it couldn't have been Scranton. That's Pennsylvania. It was, Um, I'll remember. It's not a We'll, it.
0: we'll get it eventually,
1: but it was, yeah.
0: it was somewhere in new England and it's all the same. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so,
2: I thought it was going to be like that. But now that you say detective, I really wonder what this is going to be like. Cause if it leans heavy on, well, but we know they can handle all sorts of different tones. I mean, uh, extremists was fucking fantastic and is so different than what you did on Gwenpool Uh, and her X-Men one shots, uh, for, for X-Men black were also very different tonally than that. So she can run, she can do it. Uh, and I, I kind of now want to see crime noir from this team. I wonder what it's going to look like. I wonder if it's going to be Mm -hmm. kind of like the new Wicked City, uh, the new Boom Studios book by John Allison and Max Sarin. I wonder Mm -hmm. if it's going to share the same funny but noir niche.
1: Uh, That's definitely the tone of that uh, that middle X-Factor run, but I think this is going to be a little different from that, judging by – her collaboration with Baldeon but what has (laughs) me excited is um about about them together is are you also are are either or both of you reading um Amazing Mary Jane which Williams is also the writer on yes
0: I haven't I haven't been but uh but I want to it's on my my, it's on my to-do list and I'm sure that it's been really like really sort of in the middle of being like really funny and really sort of like serious or whatever I don't know like the kind of like perfect blend of of those things
1: yeah i think it totally is but um and uh, elias maybe you remember i can't off the top of my head remember who the artist on that book was
0: um oh it's carlos something carlos Villa. Oh. carlos now uh, maybe to the internet that sounds,
1: that sounds right uh, um it is
0: carlos gomez carlos gomez carlos uh, gomez oh,
1: so I got, um, I think Carlos Gomez look, uh, I, I'm not too familiar with, uh, his greater body of work. He seems like he's uh, a totally, uh, a solid artist, but he's a weird fit for that book because, um, there's like, uh, Williams is, does a lot of, uh, I, I, I feel like calling it meta commentary is Sarah, she's selling it short, but, um, she plays with the idea and she does this so well in Gwenpool of like the way, um, women are dressed in superhero comics and, mm. um. And Mary Jane, it it doesn't look like uh, the two of them are on the same wavelength. Like when you see uh, Gomez drawing Mary Jane and she's talking about the outfit she's wearing, it's not uh, a funny skimpy outfit. It just looks like a skimpy outfit. And there seems like there's a disconnect between the joke and the execution. But with Baldeon, mm-hmm. I feel like um, if you put him with, like, a real bro writer, uh, like a Peter David or something, uh, <laughs> he's going to start drawing, like, hot babes and skimpy clothes, and that's going to be one thing. But with Gwenpool, he totally got the joke, and, like, half that comic is her running around the beach in a bikini, and it was hilarious all the way through. I mean, it's a bunch of dudes on this podcast, but – um, <laughs> but uh, I that is a, an opinion I have seen shared by – many people who read Gwenpool who understand uh, that it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. And I I think that they're, they're operating on a similar wavelength in that way. Mm Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was like, it was like everything in, in Gwenpool was very fashionable, but it wasn't sort of um, like the sort of like weird hypersexual, like hard on of somebody that like Greg land or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was like, like the, the perfect, uh, perfect like mesh of like trying to be sexy, but also trying to be uh, like appropriate or funny or, or, or all of those things. Um, respectful. Respectful. Wow. Yeah. 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 So yeah, like all the things that you're saying, I think are, are very true. This book, I'm really excited because uh, uh, all the people on Twitter talking about this book made a really big deal about it being uh, one of the books now that features like a lot of prominently queer characters. And yeah not to, not to like paint lay Williams into the like she only needs to write queer, queer characters kind of corner or whatever but she's really good at writing queer characters and as like a queer person herself understands those things and the way that she was answering questions about um uh, like different kinds of like sexuality and, and gender and how those things relate to like the resurrection sort of process on twitter as people were asking like i saw somebody ask what if there's a mutant who dies and then wants to come back um, as like a different gender identity than the one that they had when they were alive the first time. And she responded saying like, we have a story arc about that coming. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome. really dope. good. Um, like getting to like play with, especially like, love like the Krikoa, which is like sort of been uh, like typecast as this like very horny place. And yet like, most of the comics have kind of ignored like oh, some of that, like it's been like, it's been more of like teasing of like that that everybody's like fucking and less like, yes, people are fucking.
1: I would call uh, it a, it's that mostly I, subtextual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's in the there. word I was looking for. Um, yeah, it's in there, but it's not like in there anyway. Um, bad joke. Uh, so, <laughs> um, So, yeah, like, those are, like, the kinds of things, like, and the kinds of questions, like, that I'm excited about exploring about Krakoa, I think are here. Because a lot of the books so far, um, all the Don of X books have been very, like, outward facing. It's still been dealing with, like, how the rest of the world is, like, perceiving Krakoa. And this Mm -hmm. is very generalized, and people can poke holes in my argument there. But, like, this seems to be, like, one of the first books that's really going to, like, take, uh, like, a very, like, distinct and good look at like what is happening on the island itself and like what is happening like within the culture of the island itself. And I'm really excited about that.
1: I totally hope you're right.
0: Yeah. Um, I think X-Men has been the closest
2: to that. All the other books definitely are most are almost explicitly dealing with something is up against Krakoa. Marauders is pirates is getting people out, out of the nations that don't like Krakoa Um new mutants is space Krakoa.
1: <laughs> oh i just wanted to talk about something kevin was saying about uh Leah a moment ago um which is uh and Elias, you were talking about um extremists which uh yeah i don't know what i, I have all, all of leo williams work i guess is my favorite leo williams work but extremists was the one that surprised <laughs> me the most um, and I'm specifically mm-hmm. talking about um, the romance that came out of nowhere for me, of uh, which I wrote about extensively in my Mutant Versity column, of uh, Blob and um, Betsy Braddock, who at the time was Psylocke. And uh, Psylocke, yeah. for uh, people who just need a quick refresher, it's very complicated. The details aren't that important, but uh, there was was uh, her mind was put into the body of an uh, Asian ninja woman even though, uh, originally she was a white, the uh, Betsy is a white British woman and that's something that a lot of writers haven't known what to deal with because it's just like a really weird and uh, upsetting and problematic uh, story beat. But instead of shying away from it, Leah Williams made that the center of her story and made it all about uh, Psylocke's body issues and how she had body dysmorphia growing up in her original body and how she felt disconnected when she was in this other person's Asian body and how she kind of like fetishized herself and what that did to like her soul and this, Blew me away, and Psylocke, had or Betsy had never been one of my favorite characters. Blob was certainly never. Blob was mostly a fat joke, and she uh, used him to explore similar issues of body image. And now there's a list of you. You mentioned the roster of X Factor. Those aren't my favorite X Men, and some of them I actively kind of dislike. Not a big fan of um of Polaris, and I uh, I think uh, North Star is a pretty grating character. A lot of the time, he's written pretty cringeworthy for me. Um. Rachel, uh, what's her code name now? Prestige. It's a dumb code name.
0: Yeah, I think that be um,
1: But uh, you, you lost me there. Uh, but Rachel, uh, Rachel Gray, Rachel Summers, um, is a character I don't think has been written well in like thirty years plus. And I'm really excited to see Leah Williams write characters. I'm not that excited about. I'm like more excited for her to rehabilitate my least faves than to have her have my favorite characters. Cause then like Psylocke and blob, they can become my favorites. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. I
0: mean, like I think, uh, like so much of like X-Men discourse that I see online is people like talking about how much they love their faves and how much they fucking hate everybody else. And that they wish <laughs> that every writer, or every writer like wrote like their faves and just like killed everyone else. And so to have a book, which maybe like includes somebody's faves some people's faves and some people's like not faves, but like by someone who's very clearly shown that they care a lot about like the X-Men world and like have a lot of things to say about it. Like that's really exciting. Like to have the opportunity maybe for, um some of these characters to become you know characters that people really like love and really interact with or to like to be able to see a a different side of them or whatever
1: yeah Um, and and you you started this out by asking uh, do i think that this run is going to be in the spirit of past x-factor runs and now that i'm thinking about it what mm -hmm. you just said i think that's the core of the spirit of x-factor is x-factor is where you Mm -hmm. send your b-listers and your c-listers and uh you you let them be the a-listers and you let them shine and um and you rehabilitate them because like uh, X-Factor is the book that made me love Wolf Spain and multiple man and strong guy and, um, and Richter. Like these were not uh, a listers who star in the movies, but uh, in X-Factor, they get to be the stars and it turns out they're all great. Mm.
0: Mm. I did want to transition real quick before we move on to the second set of, of news things. Um, so, so we have Leigh Williams uh, book announced now, we still have been promised a book that V is going to be doing in Dawn of X. So I'm curious when we're going to get that book. I also saw at uh, the time of the recording of this podcast that Kelly Thompson had teased on Twitter that she was having a, a Marvel-related announcement come out this week, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, so maybe by the time that this podcast releases, we'll know what that is. But besides those two things, I'm curious about those things and we can pick up on them or not. Um, uh, a bloody Cool article pointed out to me um, this week that when – X factor drops in April uh, and all the other X books drop in April that there will be, if you count Deadpool, which I don't different. Okay. 11 different. So not counting Deadpool, 11 different Don of X books hitting the shelves. Not, not assuming that any of the titles are double shipping.
2: I was going to say, why don't you count Deadpool? He's a mutant. He's clearly part of the whole thing. I mean, he's doing his own thing at the moment, but. He wasn't, like,
0: announced as, like, a Dawn of I like yeah, really he, I
2: don't X think book, he'd be but. considered necessarily a Dawn of X book, but he did get a new number one post Krakoa. Uh, yeah.
1: So did the three titles we're going to talk about later tonight, and none of them are X titles. That's true. I did see the,
0: because they released the April solicitor for Deadpool, um, and he is going to Krakoa in April. And so maybe that was part of the logic. But uh, That makes sense. Yeah, but 11 different X titles. How do we yeah. feel about that? Too many. Too many. Too many. Too many. Wait,
2: uh, is, is Fallen Angels still running? No. No.
0: no. no so it's, uh, it's X Men, New Mutants, X Force, Marauders, Excalibur. And the, so that's the five, mm. um, and then it's the minus Fallen Angels. And then the other six are Giant Size X Men, X Men, Fantastic Four, Wolverine, Hellions, Cable, and then now X Factor.
2: Okay.
0: How many of those are minis? Is the okay. question. Uh, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and um, and Giants Says X-Men are both minis. For sure. They've been announced as minis.
1: Yeah. Um, that's too many. I said last time that Marvel is a, like... Uh, you go to a restaurant and you tell them that it was delicious, and then they're like, you can't leave until you eat 16 more plates of it.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's I think it's a lot... I and I and I hate it too because I'm really only excited about half of them, but I really want to read all of them. Um, so it's just gonna like take a lot more work. I still think they should have, they should have
2: done it with a different wave system, like spread things out more. Let certain sure. books cut sunset or transition into a different book. Or does not have so many fucking books.
1: I, I got strong yeah. feelings about this. I don't think we need a Wolverine and a Cable book. It's just like weird that we're given um, two similar like gritty murdery white dude solo series when there's a lot of characters that are uh, more interesting and that have like less stories told about them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but Jake, one of them is an older guy
0: and one of them is a younger guy. Who so used to it's be an okay older guy. Cause... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and Hellions, Hellions is like, a, you know, maybe Hellions will turn out to be a masterpiece. But right, I just don't get what its identity is. Like with X Factor, right out I, the I, gate, yeah. uh, there's so many angles. There's uh, there's the creative team, and there's the the characters, and there's their inner lives. But there's also the five and dealing with like the philosophy of resurrection, and there's like so much that it's about. And Hellions is about some random unliked bad guys are doing bad stuff on a team. Like why?
2: It's mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad, but the movie version. But, yeah. But for for, for for Croa. yeah. Well, hope, hopefully it turns out, well, I don't want to speak ill of the creative team, but why why did we need it?
0: Yeah, I'm curious what like the mutant math was for all of this stuff. Like if any of the books, um, like Wolverine or like Hellions or like Cable, those are really the three that I look at and I'm like, these could have been added late to the game like i feel like we knew sort of like from the beginning of the announcement and x-men fantastic four like i feel like from the beginning from like the announce, like the original sort of Don of x announcement it seemed like we were getting the six and then we knew that we were getting the leia and vita books and they were coming in wave two and it seems like those these other ones could have been added sort of immediately after when they saw how well everything's things were selling and were not like originally planned because i know that some of the comments that uh jonathan hickman made sort of at the beginning was like i have the initial setup like i have you know Hawkspox, and then i have like we can live there for a while in that status quo i have like a middle thing i need to do we can live in that for a bit and then i have an ending for whenever marvel wants to do that and so it seems like these other things were kind of added uh, because marvel can because they know that they can keep telling stories in these things where it feels like something like x factor which is going to explore the status quo of the five which we haven't really seen since um house of x and powers of 10 ended um like that seems like it's an important quote-unquote important book um as opposed to something like hellions or something like wolverine or something like cable which are just going to take advantage of the status quo and perhaps maybe not be additive but are like just going to like be books that exist within um i don't know if that's fair or not because we haven't read any of them and i do want to read them and i don't want to like prejudge them but i am sort of like there's 11 fucking books and that's like 50 dollars i got to spend in april if i want to buy them all
1: you know who's cool though is nanny and orphan maker and they're the stars of hellions
0: i don't even know the fuck that is oh anyway all right (laughs) um (laughs) moving on so uh uh second big block of news um has to do with books coming out in April. So we know in March that Marvel is releasing a one-shot titled Outlawed, which is going to be written by e-viewing with art by Kim Jacinto. And it's going to follow the Marvel un- universe, some incident which will lead to a law being enacted. Um, I don't know if it's just in America or it's like worldwide where heroes uh, under the age of 21 or, or younger will now be um, outlawed. Like they cannot be heroes anymore.
1: Oh, and Elias, it was Stamford, Connecticut. That's what the New Warriors believe. Oh,
2: I
0: was close. Uh,
1: You were close. So close Stanford. I see where you, I I see what's happening
0: to the people of Stanford who are listening to this. All probably zero of you. We apologize (laughs) anyway. uh, So within that status quo of heroes under the age of 21 being um, outlawed, uh, there are three books spinning out that we know of now. There's sort of like a main book that'll be written by Ewing herself with art by Simone Medio and it's the main champions title, which has been the, for the last few years, the main teen book title. So, and it's going to star Miss Marvel and my, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Miles Morales and Nova with other members of the champions kind of thrown in there. And it'll be like, I guess the flagship of this sort of like little teen, teen YA corner of the Marvel universe. Um, we're also getting a power pack mini series. I don't know a ton about power pack, but I did read like John, like Hickman's like fantastic four FF stuff. And they appear in that um, as part of the future foundation, but we're getting a power pack mini series, five issues written by um, unbeatable scoregirl writer, Ryan North with art by Nico Leon. Uh, it looks good. Reunite, reunite, it looks good. Yeah. Uh, the reunite, pages like, actually that family great. group. The, like, yeah. Uh, and then lastly, we're getting a new five issue new warriors mini series written by Daniel Kibblesmith of uh, Loki and um, Lockjaw fame and with art by Luciano Vecchio, who was doing art on Ironheart. Uh, and so we're getting some of the staple staple new warriors characters back, back from after having died a lot in Connecticut. Uh, Night Thrasher, Firestar, Silhouette, Rage, Speedball, who no longer is wearing that all-punishment outfit thing for after Civil War, and Namorita. And so they're going to mentor new heroes within this new status quo because they are all characters who are over the age of 21 and so can uh, operate in this universe. Uh, So within those three books, um, Elias, we'll go to you first. What are your thoughts? Are you excited? Are you not excited? Are you more excited about one book than the other? Take it away.
2: So I'm tentatively excited um, about a couple of them. Well, I guess all three. Um, I'm definitely excited for the Power Pack mini series only because I think that's a dream team. Ryan North... Like, like, this feels like the kind of story that Ryan North has built to tell. And Nico Leone has shown that... Just such a wide berth of books. Uh, I think recently... Nico's been
0: working on. He was of, on this Marvel for a while and yep. then he was doing Agents of Atlas stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the next project. Yeah. I, th- I think
2: he brought Agents of Atlas far up from where, where it could have been. Because um, I didn't I, I didn't particularly love the art in the War of the Realms crossover. Shh, don't tell him. Oh, okay. But um, Nico has, has. Well, I'll just cut that part. It'll be good. <laughs> Brings it. Nico's brought this just kind of like baldeon a lot of bounce a lot of shine and a lot of fun to all the books and I think Power Pack fits that. All the characters are built with powers that from what I understand I only know the Power Pack from uh the short-lived Future Foundation series. Uh poor Jeremy Whitley. He keeps getting his series canceled. Yeah, uh, at least this one it's not him, but at least these are announced as mini series. Is at hashtag justice for Jeremy Whitley. Hashtag justice for Jeremy Whitley. At least two of these are actually announced as, oh, yes, these are actually miniseries and not. We're planning them to be miniseries, but we're not telling you guys um, mm-hmm. or we're going to cancel you midway through your arc. And everyone's like, uh, what the heck, Marvel?
1: I love miniseries. Uh-huh. I'm so excited that they're miniseries. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and same for I don't care for the new warriors. They bore me. They always have. Um, they bored me pre uh, Civil War when I went back to find out how the hell they got there. They bored me during Civil War. Just, Speedball was just stupid when he was penance. Uh, can Look I
1: make oh, that's you what Guys. It was. That's Don't read was. any
2: of the stories. Just look
1: at it. I did. Up. I read them all. It's I read all the time. It's
0: Marvel Unlimited. It was so bad.
1: Yeah, wait, Jake, what were you going to say? Dark Confession. I also think Speedball is stupid, and I loved Penance when those books were coming out. I thought he was no. so cool.
2: Motherfucker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we have to disown Jake now. He had one uh, spike
1: for each of the victims of the explosion he felt guilty for, stabbing him at all times. What's all not cool All the time, because that? that's the time. how the that's so cool. started that's to literally
0: too. That's literally too many spikes. Therapy is so much cheaper than buying a costume with that many spikes. On. No, he, he made this costume. Wait, you
1: guys definitely oh then skipped God. the amazing uh, Warren Ellis run that had uh, Penance in it, where he, Penance joins the Thunderbolts and does get therapy, but his therapist is Moonstone, and And it does not end well for him.
0: Oh God. I I did miss that. I did miss that. Um, All
1: time. Great run. I'm
2: I'm surprised. I I don't, I have no idea what to expect from champions um, because champions has been, been a strange title from the beginning. It was originally written by Mark Wade and it had all the, the, the young heroes that were part of, but sort of not part of the Avengers during the all new, all different relaunch. And it struggled to find an identity until Zub took over. And then I think it really started to come into its own and then was canceled by those sales. So I'm glad to see the champions returning. I'm glad all of these these legacy characters are getting their own book. I kind of wish more of them were in the Avengers, but I'm glad that they get the time to shine. They're not being relegated to the Marvel Dungeons of, well, they're going to sit there as a cameo for... 300 years although they're all pretty popular characters um, but I have no idea what to expect from this Uh, I guess it's going to be kind of like Captain America on the run after Civil Mm -hmm. War well
0: he didn't really Jesus Marvel (laughs) canon yeah (laughs) I am I am curious uh, because like some of the I guess news things referenced, like the law that's being enacted where the under 21s are under people under 21 cannot be here anymore. is called Kamala's law. And so I'm curious, like if, if, yeah, like, how the hell does that happen? happen? Yeah. Like if she's gonna like be outed in this process, which seems very unfortunate for, for her, but like, I trust, um, I guess Ewing like in the midst of this process, like this is the first time, uh, that a champion's book has been announced that I'm like, this is somebody that I want to write a champion's book. Yeah. I think she uh, gets like, it. She got it in Ironheart.
2: Um, mm-hmm. And coming Ironheart's in this new book, right? I believe so. Uh, prob- I think so, probably, yeah. yeah. I don't think so, so yeah, getting to write her again, I think, is going to be really, I mean, it's going to be great to see her writing Ironheart again. But uh, I can't wait to see her writing a team book, because it is going to be yeah. kind of different from what she's been doing thus far.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a different
2: um, skill set to write a team book, for sure.
1: I want to yeah. echo um, Elias' sentiment, though, Kevin. I think you should definitely uh, go back and check out Zub's run on Champions.
0: Uh, I read... I did read some of it, and it was it was just kind of... It was just kind of, like, okay. Like, it was... Yeah, it's inconsistent. I think, this will echo, I think this will echo some thoughts that I have about the books that we'll talk about after the break, but um, I kind of felt like... And I don't want to dwell too long on it. I just kind of felt... I felt like it was a lot more like substance over sort of like um, like plot or emotion or things kind of actually happening. Like I kind of felt like it was, we had this like really high concept and we're going to raise the stakes and that's all we got. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like with a book like champions, which is all about like teenagers, it really lends itself to being able to talk about like things happening in the world, like teenage emotions, like shit like that. Uh, And Ewing's a writer whose perspective I trust to be able to do something like that. Like, it's not like, I feel like a lot of the like Wade Ramos, the Mark Wade and Berto Ramos stuff was kind of like the youths.
1: It was very, uh, and hello, fellow kids. Yeah. yeah. And
0: this, is, this is something that I'm like, this yeah. is a book that, like, that I want to read. Um, and the other two books, power pack and power pack and, uh, new warriors. I'm excited, tenderly excited for both of those because I, I think another comment that'll come up, uh, after the break too, all of the sort of like, weird obscure miniseries that Marvel's done in the last like 10 years that have been like probably hands down. Most of the best books that Marvel's published have been mm-hmm. those sort of like shorter, shorter self-contained sort of odd character runs kind of things. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. The New War- New Warrior stuff. I'm also kind of excited about because Night Thrasher has showed up in incoming and in Marvel comics 1000. And so I'm curious if what uh, that book is doing will tie into mm-hmm. things that Al Ewing is doing with like the mass Raider and with the like, Three X's, I think is what the group was calling themselves. Like, if it'll tie into bigger stuff that Marvel's doing later in 2020.
2: Let's hope so. Because if not, in that sense, what the hell are they doing?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I want to say, if you guys and our listeners are interested in Power Pack, which is cool because Power Pack is rad, um, you should definitely check out all the books you guys were mentioning before. um, Some Power Pack characters were part of Hickman's run of FF when he was doing the Fantastic Four stuff. Um, But I really recommend – I really liked – Julie Power was part of Avengers Academy, which I think is an unsung gem of Marvel.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And that's yeah.
1: where where she first got together with um with Carolina from the Runaways.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, oh,
1: okay, which that's
2: where that came
1: from. Yeah, that first started in Avengers um, Academy, which I r- strongly recommend. I think the book's a lot of fun. And I also was like Kelly Sue DeConnick. Who no, did that was. Or am I, I think, making that up? I think it was Christos Gage. I want to say I have it on my shelf, but it's just out of reach. Oh. Um, and I okay. I also really was want this to, the.
2: That well, no, I was thinking Avengers Arena.
1: That Avengers Arena was the follow up to Academy. It's kind of a trilogy.
2: Oh, uh, okay.
1: okay.
2: Um that was it, the Murder one, right? That was
1: the Murder one. It goes Academy, Arena and then Undercover. Uh, it's three different uh three different comics that form a trilogy.
0: Hmm. three three books that are one even maybe i was kidding uh (laughs) Uh, the
1: original the original power pack uh when louise simonson is the writer is like the one of the weirdest most awesome comics marvel was doing in the 80s it's definitely a kids comic and it's definitely for kids but it's also like really freaky and scary it kind of reminds me of uh the recent shazam movie Mm. that's a good wreck Yeah, um, a lot of it is kind of like the Power Pack fights uh, really forgettable alien bad guys and stuff. But uh, then it goes like weird, dark directions. Power Pack ended up being a big part of the Mutant Massacre, which was the extremely violent X-Men crossover in the 80s. Um, And another fun thing about Power Pack is despite the fact that they're really young, their identities are secret from their parents. And I think that's a really fun angle where they have to like sneak in and out before bedtime kind of thing. There's the Shazam again. Yeah, saving the world before dinner time. Uh, very Powerpuff girls.
0: Good old good old Shazam. Oh, Powerpuff girls. Oh man. Has that cuz they like rebooted that too. This is totally off topic. That show's coming back, right? I think so. I think it did, and I don't think it was particularly well received. Oh, I have no
2: idea. All right. All
1: right. Um, and last thing yeah. I wanted to say about the, uh, these Marvel books is um, we talked a little bit about New Warriors, and I agree with Elias; never cared for the New Warriors, but I do care very deeply for Kibble Smith. I think Kibble Smith is great. I had a mm-hmm. chance to uh, sit down and speak with him one on one at New York Comic Con last year, and mm-hmm. um, Kibble like if, if kibble smith wasn't writing comics he would be doing okay career wise right he's like a comedian and he writes for the colbert show and um mm-hmm. he's like a real accomplished guy but just talking to him that dude is a comics fan that dude just like loves comics and that's always what he wanted to do and he always had like a bunch of the comedy started working out for him earlier but like I, the fact that he he he's doing comics on top of his full-time job just shows how dedicated he is and how much he loves it and if he wants to do a new warriors book that's because he's got like an angle and it's gonna be beautiful I think I, he's gonna make me like the new Warriors, I'm convinced yeah.
0: I feel like that's probably true too I love um, I follow both him and his wife on Twitter his wife is uh, Jennifer Wright she's a, a like a writer also she's like published uh, a number of books and like has published in a number of other uh, like different magazines and newspapers and things. Um, but there's just like so much fun to like watch, go back and forth online. Um, and she's like, like very fiery and always has like a lot of hot takes of like things that like I think out loud, but I'm never brave enough to put on the internet. And I usually agree with them. So. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about, about him. Um, because I like, I like his writing and I like a lot of the things that he's done at Marvel. And I'm, I'm excited about this book for, for that reason also. So thank you for bringing that one up too. Um, Cool. Any other brief thoughts before we take a quick break and then come back? What do we how do we think it's gonna start? How's Kamala's
2: law gonna happen? Is it gonna happen in uh Salad and Ahmed's run? Is it gonna be happening in the just the one shot?
0: How do you think it's gonna I, get started? I feel like it'll happen in the one shot, and Ahmed has talked about that what happens in the one shot will spill out into the miles morales book that he's writing in Miss Marvel. Mm. um so i think whatever happens in the one shot will have like implications for both of those books and then i'm curious too i was waiting for this and i'm not sure it'll happen or if we won't see it maybe until like the solicits like if because the covers that they released for new warriors and power pack and the champions relaunch all had like the logo for outlawed on it like they were like sort of like labeled as that i'm curious if the if miles morales and miss marvel will get like similar labeling on their covers forward um so that's i'm thinking it's all gonna start with the one shot and it'll like have implications for these other things plot wise i don't really know what's gonna happen but (laughs) i guess that's the fun part yeah yeah um Cool. Well, folks, we're going to take a brief break, uh, Here, a fun commercial from uh, another fun Multiversity Comics podcast, and when we come back, we'll review some of Marvel's big books for the month of January. So we'll see you... Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back. For the second part of the episode, we're going to be talking about uh, three of the biggest books that Marvel published or launched in the month of January. So uh, we're going to talk about the first issue of Iron Man 2020 and then the first issue of the Hawkeye Freefall miniseries. And then lastly, the first issue of Donny Cates, Nick Klein and Matt Wilson's uh, Thor run. Um, looking ahead, sort of, to the rest of this month uh, at the time of this podcast. So that, at the time of the recording of this podcast, so uh, for the rest of January, there's some other fun things that are coming out, and we'll we'll touch on those uh, probably next episode. So Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy relaunch starts um, next week. Um, yes, uh, we also are also getting another issue of Thor. I'm super excited about that. Uh, all of the marvel's publishing all of these um the end one shots sort of like looking taking a character and looking at what their like last story might have been some of them have been kind of fun and then at the end of the month also we're getting um an issue of x-men x-men number five that has been teased as being sort of like really important and rb silva who's one of the artists on powers uh, of powers, house of x powers of 10 on the powers of 10 side of the book is drawing that issue which i'm excited about Uh, likewise looking at february sort of to get you primed um before uh we come we come out with an episode next month in february fun things to talk about um when we the week that we get back ant-man and the first issue of ant-man and the first issue of the x-men fantastic four miniseries drops and then also throughout the rest of february we're getting um nebula wolverine falcon winter soldier the first issue of the giant size x-men uh, mini series that one with Hickman writing all of them, but then, uh, this issue, Russell Dodderman on art, which I'm super excited about. And then, um, other fun books and things, which we will cover, uh, next in our time together. But first up this month for this episode, we're going to talk about the first issue of the Iron Man 2020, um, mini series event. It's six issues. Um, it's spinning out of the Tony Stark Iron Man series that Dan Slott and Chris Disgage and Valerio Skeety have been doing. Um, And the first issue of Iron Man 2020, written by the same folks, written by Dan Slott and Christus Gage, uh, art by Pete Woods, and then lettered by Joe Caramagna. Um, So, Jake, uh, why don't you give our listeners sort of a one to two minute, this is what's been happening in Iron Man to lead up to this.
1: Uh, That's really tricky because what's cool about Iron Man 2020 is that it's tying together almost 30 years of Iron Man comics, but I'm going to do my damn best. (laughs) um okay godspeed
0: i believe in you let's
1: do this okay so in the 90s uh tony stark died like you do and he was temporarily replaced by a version of iron man from 2020 named arno stark who was very mysterious and we didn't quite know who he was then in um kieran gillen's iron man um arno St- it was revealed that tony stark is not actually the children the child of howard and maria stark he was adopted and they have an actual biological son named arno stark who is very sickly but also a genius and um arno stark has been an on again off again supporting character since then in the in the pages of iron man and in the recent dan Sl- slot run uh, tony stark has returned from the dead again like you do um but it was revealed like you it happens a lot Uh, But it was revealed that the Tony Stark, who was the star of Dan Slott's Tony Stark Iron Man, was not Tony Stark at all, but was an AI copy of his mind put into a biological like Cylon body who was walking around, but um, was not technically a biological human and this news uh broke people's trust in tony stark and also broke this version of tony stark who uh, temporarily disappeared leaving arno stark in january of 2020 to fulfill the prophecy of the 90s becoming iron man 2020 with big gears on his shoulder it's an amazing 30-year called shot and i'm really excited for when the year 2099 comes and just that becomes the marvel continuity
0: wow that was that was that was hot. I'm a little turned on right now. Like that was that was impressive.
1: I black, was... I blacked out. What am I supposed to do again? I'll be honest. I knew
0: <laughs> none of that. No, you did good. You did good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that is that is a, a a great summary of what's been going on in Slots Run. So this uh, first issue of this miniseries picks up right on the events of that, and then also sort of fulfills this um, like 30 year story thing. Uh, Jake. You clearly have been reading Slot's run prior to this. What are your thoughts on the material that's built up to this miniseries?
1: I think it's pretty strong in terms of uh, it does a great job of setting this up. Like Arno was a a background character in that, but you could tell he was going to be the star of the story. And we all knew that the 2020 year was coming and that Arno was going to be made into a big deal. Um, So I think it was a great setup. I know um, a lot of people are real down on that that whole run. Um, but I quite liked it for the most part. I think it's pretty inconsistent and there's some arcs that kind of made me yawn, but I liked the idea of uh Stark being like this magical Willy Wonka company where you can go to work and it's like kind of dangerous, but kind of magical and you never know what to expect. And I really liked all the stuff with um, that slot was doing with dealing with robots because if you get down to it, that's kind of the uh, the angle of Iron Man, right? Is he's in a robot suit. So Slot made a supporting cast filled with different Marvel robots. And how do they feel about being robots? And um, how do they relate to their sense of self? And that's largely what this book seems like it's going to dive into. So I think um, my appetite was really whetted for some, like, I love a good existential robot story. And it seems like we're getting an awesome existential robot story with 2020. At least that's how I feel. Counterpoint. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Counterpoint. me. Uh, I, I have kind of hated the, all of the dance Slott Iron Man stuff, and I think like this issue was kind of more of the same on that. So I agree. Like, I think it's really interesting how Slot has built out the supporting cast to be um, all of these different uh, robots in the the Marvel universe, and sort of like having Tony Stark deal with like living in sort of like both of those worlds. Um, and, and all that, I feel like, so a lot of what has come before this to me has been sort of like too cute by half. Like it's been slot being like really, really clever and trying to do like these really, really sort of like clever. Let's talk about like, Oh, like Tony maybe being like an AI or like, let's talk about these sort of like robot ethics things. And like all of that has like come off as really sort of. Uh, like, half baked and false to me, and like perhaps even sort of like insensitive because it almost kind of seems like he's making fun of like people who like have marginal identities but like have sort of real, uh, like interesting, sort of like ethical ideas about what it means to like exist sort of on equal levels in like the workplace or in like reality or whatever. That's how I've read it, and I'm sure that that. It was probably not his intention. Um, but I feel like... And I feel like a lot of, of all that's come before has just been a lot of, like, really repetitive dialogue and sort of, like, emotional emotionless, sort of, like, let's think about robot stuff or whatever. And, like, has sort of, like, tried to fill this, like, middle point but has not done it super well between trying to be um, really serious but also, like, kind of funny. Like, there are a lot of characters like you mentioned who are like um, like these different sort of like robot or Android characters, but then there's also been like a talking cat and there's been like Tony's like, like uh, like real like biological mother. And then like his parents come back to life because Arno like decides to revive like AI copies of them. And they have like these like weird sort of like quirky, what seems almost like outdated sort of dialogue things, which might've been the point of what, what I was doing, but it's like come off as very annoying to me. And so reading this issue, um, was a lot of, okay, this is like the same of everything that has kind of come before. And that's been that's been that's been my opinion of it. And I will say both books, uh this book and the Tony Stark Iron Man series, Tony Stark Iron Man being drawn by Valeria Skeety, this one being drawn by Pete Woods, um, have mm-hmm. looked gorgeous. So in that sense, it's been like I like looking at these books. I wish the words weren't here.
1: Uh um, we should mention, I think we have heard- Uh, We forgot to mention the first issue of Iron Man 2020 is actually co-written by uh, Dan Slott and his uh, often collaborator, Christos Gage. Yeah, yeah. And
0: Gage Gage co-wrote the last part of Tony Stark Iron Man. Before that, uh, Jim Zub was the the co-writer with Dan Slott. And then at the beginning, it was Slott by himself. And there were some delays. So I think that's when they brought on the co-writers. But even still, like with Gage, who... I sort of um, like I've read a lot of things that like slot Gage have worked on like a lot of the like Spider-Man stuff that they did together. I read and I'm like, this is fine. This is great. And this particular series of events has been kind of like, I'm not really into this. Um,
1: Oh, uh, just Iron Man's tricky is what I was going to say. I was just thinking through like, uh, think of all the great writers who have done Iron Man runs that are among their like least beloved work. Like Kieran Gillen's Iron Man run is considered mm-hmm. some of his weaker work. Matt Fraction's Iron Man run isn't considered his better work. Uh, Bendis' Iron Man run is very divisive. I just feel yeah. like in the, in the 21st century, we haven't had a great Iron Man run, which is tough because he was their flagship character for 10 years.
0: Yeah, and it's so, that's that point particularly is so interesting because like Robert Downey Jr., and in the MCU is like epitomized, like what an iron, iron man as a character can and like should probably be or whatever. And like the comics for the last 10 years, like you're saying, like, even though there are aspects of like the Matt fraction and the Gillen and the Bendis run and this, even this like that of like, I've really enjoyed that overall. It's I think for most people, it's been kind of like, nah. and so it's like frustrating to be able to see one, like, media portrayal of the character like get it really right and one media portrayal of the character get it or multiple media portrayal portrayals of the same character in the same sort of um different method of producing stories get it really really wrong um but elias what are your thoughts on this first issue having i heard all of those things I, I so when you when you started talking about
2: um how a lot of it doesn't feel genuine and like, like the, there was, it, it felt like slot didn't quite, like it wasn't really giving uh, the, the argument of uh, the robots it's due and in the, and the way that that's acting as an analogy. Um, that was basically what I was thinking throughout the entire book. Um, I have not read any of the previous Tony Stark stuff or any of the previous Iron Man stuff going even all the way back through uh, uh, Invincible Iron Man with uh, Doom. I haven't read any of it. So what was very helpful was that timeline in the back of the issue. I'm very glad they did that because I was like, who the fuck is Arno Stark? Why are Tony Stark's parents now in Arno Stark's building? But he's also being just like horrible to them, even though they're AI but in the context of the story, the AI are rebelling, because that's usually how these stories end up going. And all I could kept thinking about was uh the webcomic Oh Human Star, which tackles some of the same ideas about AI and the way a society that that ends up being built on AI could go when the AI becomes sentient enough to want, or maybe not sentient, but like aware enough to be like, well, we want our independence and our freedom. And that one's handled much more, maybe not, yeah, much more respectably and much with a lot more nuance and a lot, the ideas are just better. Like the execution and the ideas are just far more interesting. And here, I just don't care. The uh, it, it yeah. They're written, I know that there's always this, this kind of, idea that Iron Man and by extension Tony Stark is an asshole and that he's very flippant and he doesn't really treat people with respect and Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man one really encapsulated that he's Ollie Queen before he gets stranded on the island he's basically every every modern portrayal of the billionaire turned hero maybe not modern but like modern as of the 60s, 70s, 80s Um, but I don't know. It's, there's just something about the book that did not connect with me. Uh like I wanted to succeed. I want these ideas because it's really interesting. It was teased and incoming. And I'm like, oh, we're getting the robot revolution. The LMDs are robots. What the hell does this mean for the Marvel Universe? That's huge. But this doesn't have that feel. Why did they need to relaunch it? Why did they need to do that? I mean I understand why they relaunched it from the Marvel perspective but I mean from
1: well that's all they ever do is relaunch stuff I, I don't I don't
2: get it. I'm there's there's something about the book that just isn't connecting with me and I really appreciated the art as you said Pete Wood's very not angular but people are kind of blocky and I think that works really well especially for this Gear Iron Man he feels not like the future, but he feels kind of like what people thought the future would look like. And that that's kind of what Arno strikes me as, as a character. He thinks about the future as if it was the past.
1: <laughs> uh, I, think the, I think there's two ways I would feel like this conversation is underselling the book a little bit. Although one of them... Um... I, I, Kevin, I I agree with uh, a lot of your criticism, but I think we're not really explicitly talking about the political angle of the book, uh, which I think is really interesting but really ham-handed and kind of awkward because I um, – what you were saying about the book being disrespectful um, wasn't how the book struck me. But when you said that, I, I it suddenly kind of hit me. Like I, 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 It's not like I didn't know what you were talking about. Um, but but the book seems like such a ham-handed analogy for ICE and for um, family separation and for immigration policy right now and, and how the, uh, people are being dehumanized, um, right? Like there's a – Arno is leading a new organization on the issue called EXE, and uh, they're clearly supposed to be ICE, and they're doing raids at people's workplaces and rounding up all the robots and, and uh, returning them to their owners because uh, robots, of course, can't uh, have personhood. And I and it's like a, it's clear there's a well-intentioned and good hearted message about how it's wrong to dehumanize people, which is pretty basic now that I'm saying it out loud. And uh, it's really hitting with like a thud. But um, but what's giving it nuance to me is the rebellion aspect, because you've got this machine uprising where people are pushing up, pushing back against their, or the, the, the machines are pushing up back against how they're being treated. But the the leader of their revolution is Aaron Stack, the machine man. And his characterization really matches his over-the-top characterization in Next Wave, where he was like a misanthropic, uh, human-hating alcoholic. And um, he's exactly the wrong person to be leading a political movement. This guy, he's a mess. And... um, and I, that, and that's given the book nuance for me, and I really like the angle where Arno is the titular character, but he's he's the villain of the piece, and it's obvious. It's like a, if you walk away from reading that issue and you're like, I don't know why you think I'm supposed to like this hero, I think that's silly because it's clear that Arno is the villain, and he's, like, murdering uh, people with souls who are machines. And mm. and uh, Aaron Stack is a, is more like the traditional Tony Stark hero where he's, like – He's the hero, but he's a fuck up, and he's an alcoholic, and he's uh, in the wrong a lot. He disrespects people, and how can he learn to be heroic when he's um, coming from such a bad place? So I'm really hoping I don't know what where Arno's going to be at the end of the arc, but I really hope this is Machine Man's arc, and it's about him becoming the hero that his people need, and him being able to lead this revolution. Like that's a story I yeah. think could be really cool.
0: Yeah, and I'm cool. I'm cool with that. Like none of the things that you said, I think are 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 wrong and not like, uh, like, you know, like, I think that that's, that's the commentary is, uh, and a lot of this, I feel like, uh, and like there's stories that do this sometimes that I feel um, like you're trying to say something really political, but it kind of seems like there's no level of, so like, like, and this is, this is not, this is probably too, too harsh, but like, there's like not like a, like a, a lack of self-awareness in some ways. Like, I feel like, having that commentary be um, about ice and be about like immigration and be about the ways that people are thinking about um, like all these different things and the way that people are being dehumanized, like that's fine. But in a comic where you have like a talking cat making jokes and like people just like talking in this very sort of like QC kind of like old timey kind of way, like it comes off as sort of very, false because i feel like the sort of the the tone of like the seriousness of this revolution and what it means for these robots and what it means for um like a larger political sense like for our world like like there's sort of like disparate kind of tones going on there like i feel like the words don't match sort of like the ideas that are being Presented and like for that reason, for that reason, I've been I've been more frustrated with it. Like I think having like a more harsher and sort of eerily placed um, Iron Man book that tackles like those themes would be really really cool. But there, I don't know. Like I feel like there are moments here, and there are a lot of moments reading the 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 previous series that I'm like, we're just the 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 dialogue is just like being very very, very cutesy and it's not matching the kinds of like things that this book is trying to tackle.
1: Um, Yeah. I, I also respectfully agree with what you're saying. Uh, that's just like not a, as prominent an issue in my heart while I'm reading, I'm going to continue following for it and I'm, I'm rooting for it. I'm hoping that it doesn't collapse under its flaws and that it can bring it together.
0: Mm-hmm. I did like have the moment reading it. Cause I think that you're right. Like I think the Arno is, is supposed to be sort of like the, He's our perspective character, but he's clearly the villain. Um, I had a lot of moments reading uh, this that I'm like, oh, I hope this isn't sort of like the predictable thing, like where we get, you know, like because the other thing that this comic does that I thought was kind of weird is that we open on this sort of um, entity that is coming to kill the earth or whatever. And I'm sure that that ties back. That's from uh, the, it's the Karen run introduced that idea. Uh, that seemed like that seemed like a sort of odd thing to me because it didn't appear in the things that like slot had written before this. And so that seemed kind of like a, not like a left field thing, but just in like, and, and I think it's only because I read those things and then read this that I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know what's happening. Uh, I'm like, it seems like there's this revolution happening on earth. There's this bigger cosmic entity that's coming We're going to get like six issues where like, the revolution is going to have the rebellion is going to have to team up with Arno to like stop this like cosmic thing. And I'm hoping like you're saying, like the commentary is not lost even in what seems like might be like a predictable ending to this event. That's kind of what, what I, what I thought reading this I was like, I think that I can see like the several steps ahead here and I could be, I could very well be wrong, but I'm like, I, I think I know where this is going.
1: But you could also be right. I, I, I'm giving up. Come up with an optimistic take of where the book could be going, and you're coming up with a pessimistic take. But that doesn't mean one of us is right and one of us is wrong, or one of us is good and one of us is bad. Just uh, I'm I'm going to stick with it, and you guys probably won't. But I'll check in when the series ends, and we could I'll tell you if it was yeah. worth it. Cool. Uh,
2: I can tell you right now, one thing: there are way too many tie-ins to this. <laughs> that, that is,
0: that is true. That is a,
1: I don't plan to keep up with all the that tie-ins. Is the truth. How
0: was Wolverine a tie? That was so I'm curious about that. So, um, so at the time of the recording of this podcast that they well, and I guess when the issue released, because it's in the back on the checklist. So when they announced the series, there was the tie ins that were listed. One of them was a tie in called weapon dot E X E when E X E X being mm-hmm. the the like ice adjacent group that we've already talked about. Um but like the title of that book has changed to I Wolverine, like iPhone, like lowercase I, but like I Wolverine. Yeah. I don't know. That's,
2: that's I don't know how that's going
0: to work. So I'm curious. I'm curious about that. It does seem like there's a lot of tie-ins for this. There's like three or four or five different series. Um, That seems like a little bit much, which is like another reason of like, I know this is going to be a self-contained story, but I don't know that we need like, this six issues plus like 14 tie-ins. But that's, that's the way, that's the way that the shit is this at this point in, in Marvel's domain or career or whatever. And like this issue does, I will, I do credit this issue like with forecasting what all those tie-ins are going to be, I think in a really sort of like easy, succinct way, Mm -hmm. like, like Rhodey talks about being part of force works, the EX, the X group is, is mentioned um like pepper pots isn't mentioned but you could see why she would be drawn like get thrown into this and all that like like they're thrown in and machine man like machine man like very prominent um like all that is sort of forecasted well and that's good and if we need those spinoff books then so be it um yeah i i plan on reading all six of these issues and that's i'm not going to read more things but um okay, moving right along. Talk we're gonna talk about the Hawkeye Freefall uh first issue, the first issue of a five-issue mini series about our good old buddy Clint Barton, uh, written by Matthew Rosenberg, illustrated by making his Marvel debut, Otto Schmidt, color illustrated and colored by Otto Schmidt, and then lettered by Joe Sabino. Um this is sort of picking up on Clint's story, Clint really hasn't I guess hasn't had a big story since the Matt Fraction Hawkeye stuff ended. Am I am I wrong about that? Does that seem right?
1: I'm thinking hard. Um he was Clint, pretty prominent he had o- in...
0: Occupy Avengers. Oh, Occupy. he
1: had Occupy Avengers, that's true.
0: Yeah, and then he was in West
2: Coast Avengers. But uh, ter- other than that he hasn't.
1: Terrible name, decent series. Did did Hawkeye
2: end and f- first or did Hawkeye end after? After Occupy? After, yeah.
1: Uh, uh, it switched before. over to being about Kate Bishop for a while. Yeah. And um, he was also um, pr- a pretty prominent member of West Coast Avengers, which was an awesome book.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it was Hawkeye and uh, real Hawkeye. <laughs>
1: um, well, which is, of course, referring to Kate Bishop. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, he was also involved in a lot of different incarnations of Secret Avengers and a bunch of those books are really cool. Right,
0: right. So this is, so this is, but this is like his first, like his, oh, and he was in that Tales of Suspense mini that Matthew Rosenberg did also with Travel Foreman. Um, I forgot about that. I, I did too until this very moment. I didn't write it down, but I remember it being good. Anyway, uh, so, so not a whole lot. So this is like a very sort of, you can pick up on this without, knowing a whole lot of stuff, although it draws on themes from Bendis' Avengers and New Avengers run, and also like draws on stuff if anybody's seen Avengers Endgame, which I would assume if you're listening to this podcast, you have. Um, it picks up on perhaps a piece from that, and then also picks on, I mean, just like briefly picks up and mentions part of Fraction and David Aha's uh, their run together. Um, but it's mostly self-contained. So, Elias, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on this first issue? Did it work for you? Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Um, overall, what are you what are you thinking about it?
2: I kind of liked it.
0: There, I'm, there are aspects of it I, I
2: don't particularly love. Uh, I, I really love Otto Schmidt's work on this. I think he and he and Rosenberg are a great team together. I think Rosenberg's style of writing fits Schmidt's ability to draw well, so that. Rosenberg's, you know, wordiness doesn't devour the art because um, he can be very, he can be very Bendis-like in his dialogue, um, or just writes blocks of text like in uh, Un- Uncanny X Men, uh, the, the War of the Realms tie-in. It's uh, just way too much text in that, but and. And he tends to like these really small panels, lots of panels on a page, uh, and Otto Schmidt delivers with those. Um, I I think it was just a really great fit for the two of them. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to go through. It captures kind of the the antics uh, that Hawkeye tend to Hawkeye tends to get into, which is big, bombastic, and also features ninjas. I don't know why Hawkeye is so tied to ninja. Uh, I guess it's from his Ronin days.
0: He's really into the into the know. game ninja, you know where you like are in a circle and you're like trying to slap hands. He's really good at that and that's why he <laughs> gets tied in. Yeah. He probably is um, good at that.
2: Also, I think Otto Schmidt has been typecast as the arrow guy. I
1: was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. He did
2: Green yeah. Arrow and now he's doing Hawkeye. Uh I love him for he 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 transferred over the the fun of that run to mm-hmm. here. But I also found myself wondering what the point of this was. I never quite figured it out by the end. I'm like, okay, so we're watching Hawkeye for what reason? I It, it felt like that he didn't clearly establish why we were doing this. Well, it's um, a miniseries. Yeah. It's a miniseries, but I, I, I think mean, that's the
0: reason. I think it's like, that it's I, a I think
2: miniseries. that's, a, that's the failure of Rosenberg here. He doesn't, establish well enough what's going on or it could just be here's another mission with Hawkeye and I'm thinking too hard about it um but well
1: maybe maybe you're forgetting Mm -hmm. um maybe you're forgetting because um in there's a mystery. There's like a central mystery and it's very simple. There's a guy dressed as Ronin who's Hawkeye's old identity and he's doing bad stuff and a bunch of Hawkeye's allies think that maybe he's doing bad stuff because he's a jerk and they don't like him and Hawkeye has right, to clear his name. Right, right. So there's like a solid mystery uh, in that and that's like a... There's five issues and he's going to solve the mystery. Yeah, that I works. Think that's like, that's yeah, set that up works. enough
0: for, for this. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I, th- I think spending... Because it's a mini, spending the first... I don't know, 10 pages on this MacGyver-esque cold open. <laughs> I don't think it quite worked, Aww. but at the same time, I love MacGyver, and I love just being like, where is he? Oh, he's climbing up a mountain. Why is he doing it? Well, he was on a mission. We're catching the end of it. Don't worry about it. It'll be over in five minutes.
1: It's like a Bond yeah. movie. We, we join him yeah. when he's already in the middle of the last thing. Yeah. Um, is he a thing with Jen Walters? He's a thing with everyone. He's Hawkeye. He's very sexy. Yeah, but like
0: isn't Jen still with Thor? No, this is not uh, they Jen. Had a very... This is this is um I've, Linda Carter. This is her this is Night Nurse. This is not uh, Night oh, nurse. right, this is young Linda Carter. Fuck. Is that Wait. no
1: relation to the uh the actress.
0: Right, right. Right. Yeah, this is not this is not um uh uh she hulk this is this is night nurse different different character different character who also recently yeah, showed yeah. up in valkyrie in the jason Aaron L ewing kafu valkyrie series so she's getting a lot of she did getting a lot of uh appearances lately i mean that's just two of the hundred books that marvel publishes so really that's not that many but um <laughs> but yeah no this is different character different because char- i had that moment too because i was like who is this yeah. woman and then he says like and the Hulk. The Hulk. Eventually, he says night nurse, but it's kind of buried. Yeah, in there. yeah. It's buried in the dialogue. But she's wearing a shirt that says Hulk was right. That's which I ass- right. Yeah, which screen. I'm assuming is like a callback to what Al Ewing is doing with the Mortal Hulk right now, and about like climate change things, and about how like yeah, we're gonna eat the rich and whatever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it, I like it well enough. I don't think it's in my top whatever but that could change by the end i think rosenberg is putting his talents to work here a lot better than he has in in uh previous books with marvel um it has a lot more of four kids rob a bank kind of abandon instead of the ultra serious bullshit of uh that his ex stuff which i know i know jake you liked you liked his ex stuff till the I end of
1: time not. that ex stuff was brilliant <laughs> uh, matt rosenberg's uncanny x-men number 11 was the best issue of comics of the last 20 years that wasn't um marauders number two. anything
2: else <laughs> uh, uh, can, yeah so can i tell
1: you what what's i think got that's
2: me, my feeling on this
1: can i tell you what's got me stuck on this book
2: yeah. what
1: So on the one hand, I'm so sick of superheroes fighting their evil doppelgangers. It's just like was the premise of, um, I think, something like 6,000 movies that have come out in the last 10 years, and I've seen them all. And um, I'm sick of evil doppelgangers. Give them a very different villain. Don't give them a villain that's the same powers as them but evil. So having Hawkeye fight his former identity, that's kind of a snooze to me. But on the other hand, I love villains with secret identities. It's a big Spider-Man trope that happens over the years where uh, they'll introduce a new Spider-Man villain, but they won't tell you who's under the mask. Uh, happened most famously with Hobgoblin for, I think, all of the 80s. And it's great. It's, like, it's a great comic book superhero soap opera thing. And so... Um, on the one hand i'm like ah does he have to be fighting ronan but on the other hand i'm like i need to know who ronan is so um, (laughs) i'm gonna read every issue and if it's someone if it's a good twist i'm 100 percent on board that's kind of how i felt about it too i was
0: like i don't like fighting a doppelganger is dumb or whatever but like i get that people now know who ronan is because they saw the movie and like this is a cash grab thing and i guess that's the reason for the miniseries whatever that's fine but all of the like so um like one of the things that i didn't mention just like a second ago with the iron man 2020 stuff is that like iron man 2020 drawed drew on all of this very complicated um like marvel continuity stuff and tried to make something of it and i feel like and i don't we don't have to talk more about it but i feel like it just sort of like dumped it all and said like make sense of it and i i don't know that it tied it all together in like a way that like was like really helpful for me as a reader and this sort of like is like continuity light, but still kind of draws you into where some of these characters are right now. Um, And I really, really appreciated that. Like it mentions, it mentions certain things and it like strikes the right balance between sort of like being situated in this like time and moment and being um, situated in like a larger, like a larger sort of like you could pick this up at any moment and read this. Um, Like it's like, you can read a lot of, a lot of different books in the Marvel universe right now that have Tony Stark in them. And you wouldn't think twice about the fact that in Dan Salon's book, he's like an AI or whatever. And like, not that there are any books really with Hawkeye right now, but like you could read this and it would probably work well with like reading Hawkeye, like somewhere else. I just thought it was really um, sort of like really fun and really sort of like struck the right balance between being serious and being fun and like being sort of like, thinking about Clint's inner life, like he cock himself and that's really hilarious. Um, and it like showcases like winter soldier and, and Falcon who like are about to get a Disney plus series and are about to get uh, uh, their own mini series that launches in February. And so like priming us to think about them as a team now, but like they all clearly have interacted together before and like have been on Avengers teams together. And like, that's really cool. And I just feel like this is maybe, sort of like my like semi hot take of reading this book. Cause I really, really enjoyed this and I want to read all of the rest of the issues of this. I either really want um, books like this, like mini series like this, that Marvel seems to continue to publish like things like this and death's head and Morbius and like all the other minis that have have become before that with like fun creators and like, like trying out new creators and new folks. Cause like, these are the books that I read and I'm like, this is the fun that I have reading Marvel comics. I either want things like this or I want like the Hickman esque, like as fucking complicated as possible shit. Um, and hundred percent mini series, more mini series. Yeah. Like I love, I Different love this. Interviews. I love this. Like if Marvel published, like if Marvel didn't feel obligated to publish um, long, longer, way right too many series, but like longer series that are sort of like aimless with characters that either like I guess need to always be in print, but I don't know. Like, like this, this is just like knowing this is five issues, knowing this is with a character that is sort of like less popular than other characters, like knowing all of those things, I think like allows me to sink into this with a lot sort of more fervor than I would with like an ongoing Hawkeye book. Um, And I think this is great. I just think this is great.
1: 100%. Mm. I agree with everything you said.
0: I think it's
2: hard for the for the longest series, especially now, just because the way we approach and and think about these these stories and 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 the the singles market is so different now because now than like thirty years ago, because well, now they're they're less like magazines. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still magazines, but we don't conceptualize them as magazines, which is what they used to be. Amazing fantasy was a fantasy focused magazine. And then, you know, superheroes started taking a life on its own. And these were the superhero magazines. Um, and I, I totally agree that these single, uh, these shorter miniseries, let them do a lot more fun things with characters because they don't have to support these longer runs. Uh, and I think if more people went into the longer runs with grand, complicated plans, granted, half of them would probably end before we ever got there because they'd be canceled. <laughs> but I think that is one way nowadays to approach these longer running series, either you know, with the Hickman-esque focus on Here's this long game. We're kind of seeing that with Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man. Whether or not it's doing it well is a different question. But he's setting up mysteries and he's paying them off slowly. There's one big thing that's in the background. There's these smaller arcs in between. And it feels like a book that's continually building and not just kind of spinning its wheels going, oh, we're going to do some stuff for three or four issues. And while I love that kind of stuff, it's because it's situated in a longer and bigger title. doesn't have the same ability to take the risks that something like five issues can be, because they can be like, okay, we're publishing five issues. We know we're just going to publish all five. Sure. There's no worry that it'll get chopped early because, and it's a, you can focus the narrative.
0: But. Yeah. And I realized I, um, so thank you for that. I realized like with things sort of like with, like with Hickman's X-Men stuff and with something like Spencer's like amazing Spider-Man, like amazing Spider-Man is a series that Marvel's always going to publish and Marvel's either has the opportunity to say like, we can have a lot of sort of like one-off stories and that'd be the thing that we continue to publish for forever and ever and ever. Um, or we can like do something very sort of focused and with like a long-term plan and so on and so forth. Um I don't think that every character needs to have like an ongoing series. And I think that having a lot of mini series like this, mini series like this allow you to focus in on a lot of like different fun characters. Like even though like Jeremy Renner and Hawkeye and then Kate Bishop are getting a Disney Plus series, like I don't know if they get. Nope, it's canceled. Did I saw that? But I thought that that was like. Rumory kind of whatever bullshit stuff I don't know. I don't know if it's like
1: I think they canceled it because of the dark shit that it came out that Renner was up to.
0: has that been like confirmed that like did we like did multiversity report that? I knew that he it came out that he uh like had sexual assault allegations against him from um, women. Uh, I don't know definitely about- delayed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been put on an indefinite hiatus and I, I think it's I think it's done.
0: Okay. Well the then, show.
1: I can't speak to the allegations.
0: Okay. Okay. Well then in that case maybe They could because Jeremy Renner is just like every white guy. Um uh Okay, well then like in that case maybe more so the point that like Hawkeye perhaps cannot sustain like a full ongoing series in the year of Our Lord twenty twenty. Um, is even more true. Um, but like something like this, that's like very focused and very fun, perhaps has the opportunity to lead into other different mini perhaps has the opportunity to follow Rosenberg through like a set of miniseries. Um, like, I don't know. Like I just, I had a lot of fun with this book and I've had a lot of fun. I realized reading this, like I've had a lot of fun with other mini that Marvel has been publishing recently. And I like that model for them. And I think too, like, it's allowed them to bring in a lot of different voices that they perhaps wouldn't have otherwise. Um, like obviously like Rosenberg's been around for a few years. Um, but people like like Leia Williams and Teeny Howard and and Vita Ayala and Kibble Smith sort of in that like next class after like Rosenberg and Brissa and, and Ewing and them. Like they've kind of got gotten to like cut their teeth on all these different mini and like, they're slowly starting to get mm-hmm. ongoings. Um, and it's just like allowed them to like build up sort of, a a, a lower tier, like superstar class of writers and artists. And I think that's a lot of fun.
1: Well, I think the big change is that they used to, um, when you were a new, uh, writer and artist at Marvel, you would do an event tie in miniseries, right? right? Like, um, Rosenberg's first uh if I'm not mistaken Rosenberg's first work for Marvel was that Kingpin miniseries that I think was part of Civil War 2
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: and um unless I, I I could be mixing it up but it was definitely the Kingpin miniseries and like um one of the first thing uh Kieran Gillen's time with Marvel started kind of weirdly but one of the first things he did was an Ares miniseries that was a tie-in to I fear itself or Chaos War one of those um and they used to, the, the mini series used to be part of events and they were really, it was like an impossible task that the creators were being asked. And I feel like instead being like, hey, low stakes, who's a Marvel character that only you love and what would you write about them?" with them? Uh, is a way cooler uh, pitch. And that's how you get these great series that like Leah Williams and Teenie Howard are bringing to the table. Yeah.
0: And I think too, like it, it allows people, because like obviously working, like working for Marvel and DC, like working for the big two now is still, like in some ways like the most economically viable option for a lot of creators in some ways. And in some ways like definitely not because of the way that the like comic book market works now. And so like being able to say, instead of like, Hey, come write this mini series and then like you can make money and like you'll have money to eat or whatever um, to be able to, or like write this tie in not write this mini series to be able to say instead like, Hey, we want you not just because we think that like you have, you know, potential come do this really shitty thing for us. Like we want you because we want you to like learn and grow. And so like do this mini series and it might lead to other fun work. If you prove that like you can do something fun and inventive in this like smaller format. And that's like a much yeah. healthier way to publish things, even though they're publishing like too many fucking titles already.
2: <laughs> I like, it reminds me of those, those legacy one shots. Yeah. I loved those. I loved the weird legacy one shots. I really liked that this wasn't part of legacy when they brought back Marvel comics presents for those eight or nine issues, because it it allowed them to experiment with different and weird kind of low stakes, uh, approaches Because Marvel comics presents. They were like, okay, we have three stories. We've got the main Wolvie title in the middle. And then we've got two that tie into a different aspect of this decade of Marvel. Um, and I kind of wish that they would do more. And I, do, I wish this of DC too, the Shonen jump model or, or publish these big fucking books with four or five titles. Obviously they'd have to, you'd have to think through the, the logistics of all of this, but try to give people a little bit more bang for their buck, bundle titles that are similar ish together. Um, have them come out maybe less frequently. Uh, and, change the model, do the prog model, do mix things up. Give us, give us ways to experience stories that aren't tied to $4 a month for 22 pages of story and art that may or may not be great. The miniseries limits that because we could say, okay, I'll invest what, uh, 20 bucks over the course of six months on this one series. And then I'm done. I know there's no more commitment unless it's really good. And then maybe they'll do the dark horse model of, Oh, here's a second series by this creative team with the character following up on whatever just came before. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Who knows? Um, Totally. Cool. So the last book that we're going to talk about tonight, folks is the first issue of the relaunch of the Thor book from Donnie Cates uh writer artist nick klein colorist matt wilson and then letterer joe sabino so this book is sort of drawing on the things that have come before so um as many of you know jason aaron just wrapped up his like seven or eight year run uh as the writer on the main thor books over a number of different thor related tile titles sort of cultivating culminating in um what happened in War of the Realms and then another miniseries that came after. But at the end of the War of the Realms event that Aaron and then artist Russell Dodderman and, and Matt Wilson, colorist Matt Wilson did um, Thor becomes the King of Asgard. Uh, so Odin steps aside, he becomes King and, J- and Aaron's run had sort of struggled with these different ideas of worthiness and sort of like Thor coming to terms with, being worthy enough to be a God at some point during the, the run, he lost the ability to pick up Mjolnir and then like gained it back. Uh, That's like becoming sort of like worthy, worthy again. And Cates is picking up on some of those themes. It's starting with Thor as King of Asgard and then running in an entirely different direction. Um, Like he has this one line <laughs> sort of towards the beginning of the book where Thor is sort of in this like melancholy state of thinking about having been a God, but is now being King And he says to himself, What is a king to a god? Um, You mean quoting Kanye West? I guess. Uh, Is that a thing that Kanye said? It is a famous lyric in a Kanye song. Shit. Okay. Well, uh, Kate's plagiarized, and Thor listens to Kanye. It's in there.
1: Thor obviously listens to Kanye. In
0: continuity. Yeah. so, so that's that's where this run picks up and then kind of goes in bonkers directions. I am not going to you know hold my cards close or whatever. I kind of really love this issue and I'm curious what y'all um, thought about it. So Jake, we'll go to you and then Elias. Like, what were your sort of overall thoughts here um, in this transition period between Aaron and Kate's?
1: Um. Well, I um I came in with one strong expectation because I read an interview. It might have been on Newsorama with Kate's. Um, uh, newsarama uh, an adequate website uh, you should go to multiversitycomics.com a great website but um, uh, Kate said um, that uh, it's a, I'm paraphrasing I think but uh, that Aaron's run was uh, like a Led Zeppelin and he wanted his run to be Norwegian black metal Yeah. so that was the only thing I went on I was like I'm sold that's all I needed to hear and I went in and, um, and I thought the artwork really uh, uh, realized I promise I really like the art in this issue um, and it was a lot more introspective than I thought it was going to be, but I liked it. I, I was definitely there wasn't a moment I was bored. Um, you mentioned that Thor is king, Loki is also king in this issue. He's the king of the frost giants, right? Um, and Sif and Sif has taken uh, her brother Heimdall's role as the uh, guardian of the Bifrost. So it's kind of got this like TNG thing where it's the next generation of Asgardians. Mm-hmm. They've all taken um, their older relatives' uh, mantles and they're carrying it forward. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I found for the most part the issue to be kind of confusing and directionless. So I was like, What's the pitch until that last page reveal? And then I was like, I am in. <laughs> and are we should we talk about Should we talk let's, about that reveal?
0: Let's hold off for a second. I want to get Eli- Elias in on this, and then we'll circle back around to it. Absolutely.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm so split on this oh, issue, shit. because I so I basically lived with Aaron's run. For the last two years. Yeah. More than
1: anybody. Elias has been living that run. So That's much.
2: True. So I was really close to what Aaron was doing. And I, I I really dug the way he was approaching it and how he took Thor and said, okay, well, he isn't the superhero. We're, we're so used to thinking of Thor because his name is literally Thor Odinson as Thor, the superhero. But that's not the case. Just as Donald Blake was Thor, Thor Odinson was Thor, Jane Foster was Thor. What does that mean? What does it mean to to hold this hammer? Uh, what is the message inscribed on it? Why why is that the ethos of the hero? Why is this inscription so important to Thor? Uh, and so that that was that followed through basically the entire thing even through King Thor which at the end kind of set up the new status quo that we're seeing here with Kate's run. And this is usually the case with the, with a new writer especially after after something as long and big as what Aaron was doing but he doesn't pick up uh, uh, as much from there. He picks up on I, I think Kate's missed bits and pieces of what Aaron was doing and didn't successfully transition it to here. I think he just kind of dropped it and said, okay, I'm going in my direction. And he picked up on more of the superficial elements, but didn't quite get where Thor was at the end of his series. Now, I don't know how many, how long it's been since then. I'm assuming not very, but time is weird in comics. Time was especially weird in the Thor comics. So it could have been a good while till we get to this part, this Thor which is why he's kind of bitter and annoyed and not doing so great as a king. Uh, And that's also something that, that that Aaron did kind of allude to with, you know, King Thor way, way, way in the future. King Thor keeps mentioning how he's like, yeah, I really fucked up as king. Don't worry. It'll be fine. And like, and all of his, his introspections to young to the Avengers Thor, he's just like, uh, you're the hardest part times are still to come, which this is kind of, I think, delivering on. And like when you were saying uh Jake, when you said that this is going to be the like Norwegian death metal, I didn't quite get that here. Uh but until that last page
1: reveal. Well
2: I feel like that that I (laughs) know I feel like the last page wasn't Norwegian death metal. It was more I don't even know. I I feel like that that whole page rang of um, I'm trying to think of a of a good comparison, but it it's like Aussie but old Aussie. <laughs> Are you a big metal guy Elias? Uh not particularly. But I don't know. I think I was expecting and this might be my problem. I was expecting something Something louder,
0: probably, I guess.
2: Yeah, something louder, something more like Murder Falcon. Murder Falcon was what I was what I was expecting. uh, And I got Discount God of Thunder. But I think that's just because I don't like when Kate's goes cosmic.
1: I uh, actually kind he's of agree pulling with pulling his
2: cosmic stuff into this again, and it bores me. It just bores yeah. me. Yeah,
0: what that's well, like—that's been like most of his stuff that he's done at Marvel. Like I know like the cosmic, like Cosmic Ghost Rider God, and Guardian. I love
2: God Country. And, I really liked um, his Thanos stuff. Okay, it was less sold on on Guardians, uh-huh. but. And Nick Klein sells this all. Nick oh, Klein absolutely. does a great job. He captures the the he captures the different tone. It's darker. It's more melancholic. Matt Wilson, bring, instead of bringing the super bright palette he brought to Dowderman's art, he's significantly more restrained. There's a lot more um, light shadows, and the 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 palette feels like I could walk outside and suddenly everything's covered with a little bit of soot uh, and. That's where I think I I start to feel that that kind of like comparison of, oh, this is a much darker story. This is a much more uh, bitter story. Uh, And I like that. I don't love how he's bringing in all the cosmic stuff. I kind of wish he had sat with the Thor people for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't feel like a Thor book. It feels like Thor joins the Guardian.
1: Well, I got to say, actually, um, I feel like we're forgetting our history a little bit because uh, there's a uh, many, many stories going back to the very earliest Thor stories where uh, the Asgardians encounter Galactus. That's a proud uh, Thor tradition. Fair. I was just going to mention, this is also not the first time that Thor has uh, grappled with and been disappointed with being the king of Asgard. That was a big theme in J. Michael Straczynski's run, and uh, that's come up in other runs as well, including uh, Walt Simonson's run.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's not that's not the part that I, that I even dislike. I think that that is what I wanted to see more of. I wanted to see before we got to the big cosmic bullshit that we were eventually going to get because it's Thor. Thor always has something to do with that, as you said. Galactus is a proud tradition, uh, but once once we get past page, well, actually, once Galactus crash lands into Asgard, destroying Asgard again. Sadly, uh, all of the Thor characters fuck off and we get cosmic ghost rider. We get, uh, this water person, we get silver surfer, uh, looking kind of like a, uh, shimmering Thanos in this one panel, Mm -hmm. um, with the square chin. I kind of wish that this felt more like a Thor book instead of Thor joining someone else.
1: I've been actually, I've been thinking a lot about, um, uh, be, being critical of, um, long running media for not feeling true to what you think the media is. This has come mm-hmm. up uh, in the recent past. I'm being, um, yeah. I'm being coy, but I'm, I'm talking about star Wars, <laughs> uh, but also star Trek because uh, star Trek discovery, a lot of people have been dismissing it because it doesn't, it's not. Doesn't feel like Trek. It's not true to Trek, and I just think that with long running media, uh, it's been a lot of different things. And I'm wondering, Elias, if it, maybe you've been really close with Jason Aaron, and which has been, I think, Jason Aaron is a strong contender for all time best Thor run. It just ended, so I'm a little close to it too. But I think it's at least competing with um, uh, the Simonson run and probably also the Gillen uh, run, which was brief, but I loved. Um, but like uh, Thor can be a lot of different things, so it would be saying that this doesn't feel like a Thor book. I feel like it doesn't feel like a Thor book, the the most recent one, but it feels like a lot of other Thor books because Thor can be different things.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, and and you're right. That's why I that's why I opened with it being like yeah. I'm really I oh, was yeah. really close to the previous run, uh, and I don't. Know, I, it, it may just be it may be that it may be that I, I'm a little dissatisfied from what Kate has been putting out before this and that feeling has carried over. uh, And like when you carry over with, with a writer, you still see their, their writing ticks um, unless they do something wildly different. So that may also be clouding my enjoyment of the issue. Um, And this was, which I kind of appreciate at the end of Aaron's run at the end of King Thor, he's like, there will be different stories. They will all be different. He had space cop Thor, which was different than space cop Thor's in secret wars. Uh, And he had barbarian Thor beating up mammoths with his uh, uh, frost giant wife. So there were all these ideas at the end there that you could argue didn't feel like Thor. And this is one more example of that, that to me didn't, it didn't click, but, I'm going to give it a bunch of issues for sure, because I think Cates has a plan. I think Cates has an idea and I think he's a strong enough writer to make it all work. Uh, and yeah, I, I think he gets where, where this Thor is. He's tired. He's been King for a while and he still doesn't really know what to do with that. Uh, and so now that he's being given this other responsibility to, uh, to save a bunch of people. It's like, okay, cool. There is something for me to do that I kind of understand, but um, I still wish we we had spent more time with the Thor cast and well, maybe we will in the future. Maybe that will appear, appear later. Um, it, I would, just, let's set the stage. Let's bring in the big bat or let's set up what the big bat is going to be for this first arc. And we'll mo- go on from here.
1: I would get pretty good money that the Thor supporting cast is going to end up playing a role in future issues of the Thor comic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, I think that that's, that's completely true. Like, I don't think that you would show off like Sif or Volstag like doing things unless they were going to come back around and be really important parts. I hear what you're saying about mm-hmm. like being frustrated that like, ah, oh, cosmic ghostwriter shows up and that's kind of like the, the like Kate staple bullshit kind of thing. Um, and, Cosmic Ghost Riders does suck. <laughs> yeah, that's, a fact. that's just a fact. Yeah. I read. So okay, okay. all right. Uh, take, so uh, takes the one mini series that Kate's and Dylan Burnett did. I thought was really good. It should have ended there, and we should have never seen that character ever again. Um,
1: but. My, I have a, I have a rule, and it's if your superhero name is the same as another superhero's name, but with an extra adjective, you suck and need to go. All right, all right, fair enough. See uh, uh, Red uh, Hulk yeah. and Red She Hulk for details.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> um. No, but that's fair. I and I, I would echo Elias. Like, I had a strong emotional attachment to, um, to the previous run on on Thor stuff. Like, I thought that. But all of the things that Aaron dealt with um, like Aaron, Aaron and his various artistic collaborators um, dealt with were like really powerful themes, really powerful themes about uh, like humanity and religion and like like humanity's sort of like relation to like whatever else is like out there and whatever else is is the like s- sort of good or the thing that we're like striving to like appease or emulate or, or whatever else. And like there was a lot of things in there that were really, really powerful Um like statements and really, really cool things about the character. And just like in, in a broader sense um, and reading this, I think that you're right. Like, and, and there is one point, like the, the first scene in kind of the throne room uh, in the narration, it says it's been many months since the war of the realms. Um, so there is like a sense of a continuity with what had come. And also like a, this is very clearly picking up in its own pace. I actually thought that the way that this, comic handles um, time was like really, really interesting. That was one of the notes that I made because we pick up a few months after the war of the realms. And it's like clear that Thor is in like a completely different place. Uh, they, like the narration talks about Galactus kind of sits in his hole for um, like a week while Thor and the other uh, Galactus heralds are talking back and forth. And I actually really appreciated that because it kind of situated um in the sense that like Thor is now a king things take a lot longer than when you're a god and you can just go beat shit up um I kind of like the sort of like dour politics of of like this issue (laughs) which I think was like very much reflected which you mentioned in Matt Wilson's colors like oh my god uh this issue, like Klein's, a great artist, but like it's Wilson's colors that like definitely sell this. Like you're absolutely right to say that the like palette shifts from the like bright reds and pinks and oranges of like what he was doing with Dodderman to like the like blues and blacks and greys and purples of like this comic. Um, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, and there's like a tone shift between like this and what um, what Aaron was doing, and I I kind of really bought it. Like I like I think I like the fact that. It seems like Cates has a very distinct take on where he's gonna do with Thor that like is respective of what Aaron was doing because it's like now Thor is king, now what? And there's sort of like that melancholy of I used to be able to do all these things and now I can't do them. Like I was sort of like the like badass war general and now I'm getting older. Um
1: But I think that's a great transition into um, the the final sequence. Right, because which I yeah. really loved
0: yeah, so it seems like then we're getting we have those themes and now we're transitioning into a book where either Thor's going to be grappling with that on the road or or we're not getting that because Galactus comes back, lands in Asgard. Um, the Black Winter is coming, which is apparently the thing that's going to end the the universe and is the thing that ended Galactus's universe. So Galactus was in the like 7th iteration of the Marvel universe and that universe ended it, and he was a sole survivor. And it was apparently this thing that ended it. And he has conscripted Thor to be a herald for him to help stop the black winter because apparently Thor is the thing that might kill Galactus. Galactus like sees the future when he confronts the black winter, like a first time. Um, so this, this whole thing is going to be like this like weird adventure thing. And so like in that sense, I think like that's where the like, Norwegian death metal stuff is going to look like Thor basically goes super Saiyan here on like this last page. Um, and,
1: lovely. and I don't know about you, but I, I came in with my uh, pre-existing ideas of Norwegian black metal and then Thor goes super Saiyan and he gets the crazy hair and the rune stone on his chest. And I heard the first chords of a Dimmu Borgir song and I was just like, yeah, like, that's it. That's it. So I think that's what I wanted. That was it.
0: Yeah. I think all of that is coming. Um, and so, in that sense, I thought that this issue served as a really good sort of like fulcrum between sort of like the more kind of serious questions that Aaron was asking in his run to this and then to possibly the more sort of like action heavy, but still kind of like another dumb end of the world thing happening
1: that's going (laughs) to be his run. Well, can I enthuse about, um, about the Galactus Thor connection a little bit more? Yeah. Um, because, so as I was saying earlier, there's a whole history of Galactus and Asgardian stuff. And I'm thinking of an, um, an issue or the first arc of Matt Fraction's Thor, which was a very weird run. Um, but interesting. And, um, it establishes in that, that, uh thor can't go toe-to-toe with galactus this is going to be a real like who could beat up who power levels talk for a second but uh, galactus definitely outclasses thor but um odin and galactus are almost evenly matched and they have an awesome fight at the beginning of um Fraction's Thor run and they fight each other to a standstill um while literally standing still because uh the fight is happening in this cosmic realm that even thor can't uh can't witness because it's too like lovecraftian and huge but um at the beginning of the comic they were talking a lot about how thor was sitting with his father's power because the king of asgard uh, is the possessor of the odin force so that means that thor has all of his power and all of his father's power and then by the end of the issue he has a piece of galactus's power too so this is like the most powerful we've ever seen thor this is going to be like uh just op thor and I think uh, a very boring criticism that boring people have of comics is that they don't uh, understand how to make Superman interesting because they figure that the only way to do interesting stories is to uh, have a guy punch a similarly powered guy. Uh, see my earlier opinion about Hawkeye and Ronan. I think with uh, with Thor, they've made him like so uh, in Inconceivably powerful that that's really interesting to me because now he's operating on this crazy scale where he's dealing with like the mythos of the previous iterations of the Marvel Universe and the cosmic forces that must exist, the gods that are above even the gods and the celestials and all that crazy Marvel shit. And, um, I love that crazy Marvel shit and that's a Thor is a great place to explore the gods that are even bigger than the gods we know on earth. I think that's a really cool angle to go deep into. Yeah,
0: I think so too. I think that um like if there needs to be one book that's dealing with like the big sort of like universe ending big fancy cosmic shit, like there's no better book to do it in than this one. Um and yeah, I'm excited for for that reason. Uh, Elias, what did you think about the last page? C- considering the rest of the conversation that we've had,
2: it it definitely didn't hit me.
0: <laughs> it definitely didn't hit
2: me as much as you guys, uh, but I was completely caught off guard yeah. by that. Um, I did not expect him to suddenly just be, oh, "Hi, I'm the Sentry." Basically, uh, that was what what struck. I saw it. And I'm like, "Oh, it's the Sentry," but. Not Maybe it's just because of the, the Kim Jacinto uh, Hawkeye covers I just saw. But I feel like at, at, at the bottom of the podcast feed, you just have to have a photo of the sentry next to Harold Thor. I think that's the part that lost me. I think that's where I started becoming like, like okay, he's Harold Thor. But now that Jacob said that he's this powerful now, that that is an... It's something we have not seen from him uh, either in a long time or, or kind of ever. And the, the sneak peek page, I don't know what's going on with that. But now we're going to get probably at least another small battle between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's got me intrigued. But I guess I just don't care for this to be the opener to Kate's Thor stuff. Because it feels like he's just doing what he's always done, mm-hmm. just with Thor now. And I wanted to see him try something different. I, want, I wanted him to, to kind of sink into King Thor instead of trying to push him towards we – never, We never got to see him as King Thor. We saw a little bit, and now we get to see him as Herald yeah. Thor.
1: But it's not over. He's still the king. It's not like he's leaving and now it's like, ah, oh, I guess Sif is the king now. Like Thor's still king. In fact, this is not yeah, is-
2: but I've got this is the this is my gut feeling from the way he set it up. It's that Thor will probably after his his big battle with Galactus, with a lot of talking back and forth, um, eventually come to the the conclusion that he has to go with Galactus on his uh, fetch quest for the planets, um, and he'll leave behind his his kingdom for a little while, and will be seeing things through there. We'll probably cut to uh, the Black Winter devouring something. Maybe the Black Winter will arrive at Asgard and then Asgard will be destroyed for the fourth time in 10 years. Um, I'm worried that this is going to fall into patterns that we've seen before and not do them in ways that interest me per se, um, because they're all at this kind of high level instead of this character level. Because Case can really do the character level real well, but he hasn't been focusing on that for a while. He's been really focusing on the the big thoughts, um, tying everything back together, creating his sagas that are kind of loosely connected. Um, and I don't know, I could just be being a super downer on this uh, when I when I shouldn't be it did not it did it did not grab me as much as i hoped it would or or as much as i thought it would but we'll see we'll see what harold thor brings to the table and we'll see how how he navigates those two identities kind of being part of him now or maybe he won't be harold thor by the end of the next issue
0: i keep thinking that you're saying that you're saying harold thor like his name is harold And like his first name is Harold, his last name is Thor. And now I'm just like picturing a book of like Harold Thor, who like has a shitty office job and then comes home and like cosplays as like a God or like their drag (laughs) name is Thor
1: or I don't know, like something like that. Anyway. Um, sorry. Uh, My big suggestion for you, Elias and for you, Kevin, and for you our gentle listener. Um, Is to queue up um, a council of wolves and snakes by Dimmu Borgir and just allow yourself to be taken into a tornado of gravel and then um, read the issue again and be deafened by the true sound of Norwegian black metal.
0: There you go. There you go. The the clarion call of Norwegian death metal. Yeah.
2: And then then be distracted by Thanos silver surfer
1: no 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 you're gonna get sucked right in i'm telling you that's the uh, council of wolves and snakes by dimu borgir it'll take you to take you right to asgard
0: <laughs> i i can't wait to hear your thoughts after the second issue after we get the second issue elias but um i can't wait to figure yeah. them out folks that's all the time that we have for uh this episode um we'll be back at the beginning of February with more news and with more Marvel content, the DC3 boys will be back to talk more Donovek stuff. Until then, Jake Elias, thanks for being here. Uh, where can folks find you on the larger
1: interwebs? Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having us again, Kevin. Always a pleasure. Um, you can find me on multiversitycomics.com. It's a great website. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose where. Often, like this podcast, I ramble.
2: <laughs> and you can find me at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, I have a Twitter. I rarely post on it now, because uh, I have forgotten my password. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have it somewhere. Probably the healthy thing to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at quetzalish. I will not respond to your ats because, again, probably not checking. But hit me up. Tell me how wrong I am about the new Thor issue. Tell me how wrong I am about Iron Man 2020. Tell me how wrong I am about Hawkeye Freefall. Just tell me how wrong I am. That's what Twitter is for. He lives for punishment uh, Twitter. He's, uh, his name... Don't let
0: him down. I do think I spent all my time with Jason Aaron's run. His name might even be Penance, really. Uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> the greatest and coolest superhero. Yep,
0: yep. Uh, you, folks, you can find me at multiversecomics.com and on Twitter at KBGregory 13. We'll be back uh, the first part of next month. Until then, play you some Norwegian death metal and we'll see you.